Shut up and sit down. going on guys welcome to another episode of the hw prospect show i'm jim here with my co-host alex appleyard alex what's going on man yeah great to be here again um staving off the boredom of lockdown <laughs> yeah the uh the flyers made a move yesterday and just so happens to be uh, a kid that played for the team that you root for or you followed over there yeah yeah, uh, I mean, the move isn't official yet. They have some NHL. The NHL in Sweden haven't agreed their transfer rules, basically, for this year and next year. So I think they're waiting on that. But I think once that's once that's settled, it seems very likely that uh, the Flyers are getting Linus Sandin. Mm-hmm. And yeah, he grew up at the youth system in Modo, which is the Swedish team I've followed since around 2001, 2002. Okay. Um, so actually, I saw a couple of games of him uh, for their junior team, like back in the day, like, around the time that Robert Hegg was drafted, actually. So I think 2012, 13, or no, well, 13, 14 or so. And so, yeah, I've kind of followed his career for a while because I like to keep a track on all the old Modo players and where else they've gone. Um, I think he's a really, once the signing goes through, I think he's a really interesting signing for the Flyers. So so tell us a little bit about, I mean, obviously he's the brother of Rasmus Sundin for the Maple Leafs. He's the older brother. Yeah, Linus is his older brother by a couple of years. Okay, and, and tell us a little bit about Linus, because I, I don't know if anybody over here has heard of him before. Well, he's a funny player because he was a really late bloomer. So in his draft year, he's the same draft year as Oscar Lindblom, uh, but he never played for any of the Swedish junior teams. He was never like a really heralded prospect out of the Modo system. Um, he never played um, under 20 hockey, really, in his draft year. He had like seven games and mainly on the fourth liner as an extra forward. I mean, they had a really stacked team at that point. A lot of guys who've gone on to be really good SAL players. Um, but he was kind of under the radar in that regard. And also, he just hadn't really developed yet into what he was obviously going to become. He was playing the under-18s, and he was one of the top players on the under-18s team. But most of the guys who were drafted into the NHL are playing under-20s at the very, very minimal. Uh, but since then, he's really came on leaps and bounds. Uh, in his draft plus two season, he was loaned out um, from Modo to Mora. Uh, Mora play in the Swedish second division, in effect, like uh, the Alsvenskan. Mm-hmm. And he played really quite well there, like third line role, uh, chipped in with some goals, generally played pretty well. He was on loan at that point. Um, and then the year after, went back to his uh, hometown club. Um, he's from Uppsala, the same place as Robert Hegg. Um, he went back to Almtuna um, in the Alsvenskan and improved there and became kind of a, a second line slash first line forward in the Alsvenskan. Um, and then that led to... Um, Two and a half years ago, uh, Rugla coming in for him, an SAL team who'd kind of only just been promoted a couple of years previously and were trying to establish themselves in the top tier. First season at Rugla, he played uh, pretty well, but mainly in a fourth line role, like checking role, penalty killing, an energy guy. 
Uh, didn't really see much ice time. Uh, and so his points were obviously suppressed because of that, because he had like 30 points in 40-something games the year before in the second tier. Mm-hmm. Um, but then last year was where he really started to grab people's attention. Um, he got promoted to kind of a second-line role for Rugler and just kind of really started to show some really impressive skills in the SAL. Uh, last year, he scored uh, 14 goals at even strength um, and got two assists at even strength to add on to that and was one of the real success stories of the younger players in the SAL. He was 22 at the time and ended up making his Swedish national team debut on the back of his Rugler performances. Um, I actually got to see a few, bit of him live because I was up in Angleholm where Rugler play a few times and managed to watch him. And he was one of the guys who kind of stood out um, alongside uh, Niels Huglander, actually the drafted uh, prospect. So, yeah, he's an interesting player. And this year he moved to HV71, one of the kind of premier Swedish uh, teams and really got his top six role kind of straight away, kind of on the second line mainly, and just really showed his skill set. He was the top scorer uh, for kind of under 23-year-olds in the league, um, ended up putting up 19 goals, and a lot of those were at even strength. I think 15 of them were at even strength and only four on the power play. Now, in terms of his actual game, he's a guy who you can really see transfer into the NHL well because of his skill set. He's a solid skater. He's no burner, but he can get from point A to B pretty well. Um, but his real, where he wins is around the net. The guy loves to go to the crease. He loves to get loose pucks there. He loves to contest with defensemen, to get on the boards, to grind in the cycle game. Uh, if you look at where his goals come from, over the last two years, he's the highest scoring, even strength scorer in the SAL with 29 goals and scoring at 1.4 um, goals per 60 minutes played, which is the highest of any player in the Swedish Hockey League as well. But if you look at those 29 even strength goals, you can count on one hand the amount that came from outside the crease. He has a nice wrist shot and a good backhander, but his most of his goals come from crease scrambles, from getting to around the slot, um, and from tips and deflections. You know, I think that's a that's a skill set that really will transfer as well to the um, NHL. And as I mentioned before, he's been in a PK role. He didn't really PK for HV71 this year, but in the previous two years for Rugler, he was used on the PK1 in his first year. And then he's their second PK. And he does that role really well as well. So, yeah, he's an interesting player who kind of suits North American ice, I think. So, uh, interesting. I'm looking up some stats here. And maybe you could tell, tell um, the listeners a little bit about, you know, the Swedish league here. Because I'm looking at, you know, some of the top point scorers and goal scorers here. And Lena Sandin is tied for third in the league this year in goals with 19 Um he is up there in points as well. Let me see where I lost my thing. 16th overall in points uh, with 36. And there's like five or six guys ahead of him that have 39, 38, 37. So he's up towards the top in the Swedish league in goals and points. Is it harder to score in this league? Yeah, it's pretty rare now for guys to score more than points per, get point per game. You're generally talking maybe three or four guys a season who are scoring point per game. In some years, you've only got one or two. Um, They play on bigger ice, and while there are probably, on average, less shots, more of the shots generally kind of go in at that level. Um, So you're talking probably an average of 25 shots per team a game instead of 30 in the NHL, um, and just a half a goal less a game or so on average. Uh, So... It's and obviously they play a shorter season, so only 52 games. Uh, so if a if a guy's scoring honestly 40 plus points in that league, they're pretty much an NHL level player generally, especially mm. when they're younger. I think it's if you look at guys who are kind of under 23 
and have scored 30 plus points in the Swedish Hockey League. And they generally are good enough to play in the NHL. Maybe they're only a fourth liner, maybe they're a second liner, but most of them, are, them can transfer. I would say it's the third best hockey league in the world, really, after the NHL and the KHL. And going off some statistical studies that have been done, Swedish players, while the KHL is definitely a better league, Swedish players generally transfer better to the NHL uh, from a stylistic perspective. I think partially because, well, Russia kind of went their own way with hockey. And hockey was... Russia spawned their own hockey culture and play hockey their own their own way. Whereas um, in Sweden, uh, hockey was introduced by an American, uh, Lamat, who still has his name on the Swedish Hockey League winner's trophy. Mm. Uh, so they still they, they play the most North American style in Europe, I would say, outside of England, actually. Um, so I think generally guys transfer a bit better from Sweden. And you kind of probably will know that at least, you know, you've got a guy who's probably going to be able to play fourth line at worst. Yeah, I'm looking at some of his uh, stats here. <clears throat> Excuse me. He's 23 years old. Uh, six foot one, two hundred and nine pounds. So this 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 guy, he's built already. He's ready for the NHL. He doesn't have to go down, and at least I don't think he doesn't have to play in with the Phantoms or whatever. He's he's built already. Uh, I'm I'm kind of and I'm gonna ask you, but I'm kind of picturing like a Michael Raffle type role, big body that could po- potentially play up and down the lineup, but mainly third, fourth line. Yeah, I mean, I think. He isn't a dissimilar player to Raffle. Raffle also played in Sweden before he moved to to the NHL, although in the second tier, actually, in the Alsvenskan for Lexans. Um, uh, there are some differences between them. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sandin is better around the net. He oh. has a better nose for the net, and he likes those physical battles in front a bit more. But I wouldn't say he's as strong defensively as Raffle. Uh, but yeah, his, his game is not dissimilar to that, and I think he would probably play a similar role, you know, as a bottom six winger who can PK, who will get around the net. I think his ceiling is probably 15-ish goals and 30 points or so, you know, as a good third-line winger. Oh, yeah. Um, but, yeah, if he if he can transfer to the NHL, what he's done in the SAL for the last two years, I think the Flyers will be getting a player who can really provide something in that bottom six and provide something that maybe is one of the aspects of the bottom six that they kind of don't quite have right now. Mm-hmm. So here's a question for you. With everything that's going on with the league now and – you know, uh, they expected the salary cap to rise a little bit next year. Uh, I guess I have two parts to this question. If the salary cap did rise, I mean, you said I think you said you knew about this, you know, uh, for for a couple of weeks now. It's been rumored or something. Uh, I mean, not that long, but like a okay. few, days. Um, few days. The local news, the local news in Yon Shopping, where HV71 is located, uh, indicated that they they'd heard he was signing with the Flyers. Um, about four four days ago or so. So, okay. yeah, that four or five days, I would say. Um, and then it came kind of into the Swedish national news two days ago, and then obviously North American news picked it up then. Okay. If, if the salary cap rose next year instead of potentially uh, staying the same, do you think, uh, is this a move the Flyers still would have made? Or do you, do you see it as kind of a reactionary move? Um, I think they, there's been quite a few NHL teams in on him. To be honest, last okay. year he was at Boston Bruins training camp and Boston have been following him and Washington Capitals have apparently had real interest in him over the year. They've scouted him a lot. They've been going to games. Um, so I think he's the kind of move that they would have probably made anyway. And he's also he will he'll be signing an entry level contract when he does sign, hopefully. Um, it will only be a one year entry level contract because of his age, because he'll be technically 24 when he signs. 
even though he might be 23 when he signs just because of the NHL rules and the cutoff dates, etc. So he'll have a one-year entry-level contract and he'll be uh, waiver ineligible for the first 60 games of the season until he plays 60-plus games. So they can send him down to the AHL if they want to. Say if he has, you know, a poor camp, if, say, I don't know, Arbe Cobell and David Caché and Connor Bunneman all have fantastic camps and kind of play him out of a spot. He could start the season in the AHL and he'd probably be, it would be unlikely he wasn't one of the better players there, quite frankly, going up is what he's done in the SAL and then could, you know, come in around game 20 once he's adapted to North American ice. Um, so I think, I doubt it's reactionary. I think even if this cap would have gone up a bit, they, they'd obviously been looking at him for a while and there's been other teams interested in him. And he's quite frankly one of the top, I would say, five um, forward um, UFAs out of Europe. And going off what we've heard, I would say four of them, if Sandin is in fact signing, four of them are already gone because Grigorenko uh, has signed for Columbus for all intents and purposes. Uh, I can't remember his name. Bar- uh, Barabanov from Toronto has already signed. Yeah, yeah. Um, Mark has apparently signed for San Jose, but that's, I think, also on hold awaiting the Sweden Sweden and the NHL to figure out uh, the transfer, new transfer rules. Um, and then the last guy to I would put in that bracket is probably Natanen, um, who, you know, an ex-Canadians uh, prospect who's over in Finland. And I, th- I would say they're the best five, though there's some other real guys in contention. Matthias Brom out of um, Sweden as well from Örebro is also a really good player. Uh, he'd be in contention for that. that. And Pius Sutter uh, from the NLA. But he, there's no doubt that he's one of the top kind of seven or so um, UFAs out of Europe this year in terms of forwards. So... He will have had, they will have had some competition for his signing, but it seems like you know he's chosen the Flyers. Cool. So this seems like a guy that the Flyers could definitely use. They could have used him, I think, maybe during the season a little bit, um, and and not just on their bottom, let's say third and fourth lines, but if he let's say he does start out the year with the Phantoms next year, they they needed a guy like this. I think. I think the the Phantoms maybe lacked some talent, you know. Uh, so if he, you know, maybe he does get first line minutes with the Phantoms next year, or even if he does play right away with the Flyers, I mean, as soon as this move happened and, you know, I got talking to you a little bit, I'm like, what, what happens now with players like Tyler Pitlick or Derek Grant? Uh, I think I'm, I'm leaving one guy out, but. Oh yeah. Thompson. Thompson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Like, what happens for these guys? Does this mean they most likely won't be back, or...? I think them being back or not isn't so interconnected to Sandine, really. Mm-hmm. I think it was very unlikely that they were going to bring back... I think it's unlikely to bring back Grant anyway, simply because if he's not getting two-plus, two-and-a-half million next year, his agent's doing a bad job, because mm-hmm. he's a guy who's been scoring 30-plus points or so, you know, prorated, pretty consistently for the last few years. He's been on a cheap deal. He can play on someone's third line at left wing and do a really good job. And he's not going to have the opportunity at the Flyers. I mean, the Flyers, even without Lindblom, potentially for next year, I hope he gets better quickly. But even if he gets better pretty quickly, he's still probably going to miss at least half of the season. You know, on that left wing, they have Giroux and Van Riemsdyk. And Farabee seems to have cemented his spot there as well. And then on the other side, you know, you've got Voracek and Konechny, who are first-line players. And then you've got Arbe Cabell, who's really cemented his spot there as well. So, you know, and then in the bottom six as well, you've got Raffle and Lawton, who can both play wing. So, you know, Grant's really only opportunity, I would say, to stay is at 4C. And it's difficult to, say, spend two and a half million on a 4C when, you know, Frost looked pretty much ready. And Patrick might be back as well. And you've got Hayes and Giroux in the, I mean, you've got Hayes and Couturier as your top two centers. 
So I think the writing was kind of already on the wall for Grant and Thompson, more so than, say, Pitlick. Um, I think Thompson was always going to be a rental and Grant was kind of a, you know, like he's a very good player, but I don't think he's going to be, you know, playing 4C for the Flyers next year and maybe blocking a guy like Frost or Patrick returning and playing some more limited minutes. Uh, In terms of Pitlick, you know, out of those three guys, Pitlick is the guy that personally I would be happy to bring back. But at the same time, he's going to demand, you know, 1.5, 1.75 million or so. He had a really nice year and he's a good player. But Aubrey Cabell, I think, is probably better than him or at least equivalent to him and will be on half that money and probably play ahead of him in the lineup. Um, And then, you know, there's the potential if Frost and Patrick are both playing for Lawton and Raffle. Uh, to be your fourth line wingers or maybe, you know, Lawton on the third line or Baker Bell on the fourth line with, say, Raffle and Patrick. Um, so I think it's kind of difficult for any of those guys to get a guaranteed spot in the top 12 for the Flyers next year. Whereas Sandin, I would say uh, there's a bit more flexibility in that regard. You know, he might be able to stick around as a 13th forward and then work his way up the lineup or he could be sent to, you know, uh, Lehigh Valley and play a few games there, really adapt to North America and then be brought up when someone's injured or when, you know, he shows that he's really ready. Yeah, uh, I think that I think I agree with you about Granny. Even though I, <clears throat> I kind of like him as a player, <clears throat> he's just going. He's going to make too much money to play on the fourth line. And I'm listening to you talk about this Flyers team, man, and it, it's pretty crazy how just a year or two ago, you know, we're talking about guys like Dale Weiss and uh, Yori Laterra, and like you just named potentially five lines of players that the Flyers could use for next season. Like it's crazy how much talent is on this roster. And, you know, you you mentioned a guy like Morgan Frost and guys are still coming up. They have guys out of the lineup that you have to factor in. Like you mentioned with Patrick and Lindblom, it's like, where are all these guys going to go? I mean, okay. I think it's a really good problem to have. I mean, it's something the Flyers couldn't do for years. And we, I think we've seen really with, Look at the Blackhawks and the Penguins. They've lived off being able to just plug in guys who no one knew who the hell they were. And they came into the lineup and, you know, the Blackhawks with, you know, Rasmussen gave them a really good season. Kruger gave them five really good seasons when he kind of semi-came out of nowhere. Uh, With the Penguins this year, look, they've got Lafferty up and he's Ashton Reese that they signed as a UFA. Dominic Simon, you know, these guys, some of them, yeah, are some draft picks, but some of them are, UFAs are guys who are really low and Rust and Gensel and you know the Penguins have basically been able to keep successful for so long and generally challenge and contend because of their depth and I think the same could be said for the Blackhawks until a couple of years ago and when the Flyers next start the next season when you look at the Phantoms team it's likely that they're probably going to have 10 prospects in their forward lineup which is you know one of the most the Flyers have ever had and you're talking several of those are legit NHL prospects as well it, it's pretty insane how, how much talent, because, and like, you know, some of these prospects have to have a little bit of a work to do, and I'm thinking of guys like uh, Rupsov and, uh, you know, maybe LeBurge, like, what happens with him? Like, they're, they're filling out an AHL roster, they have guys in the ECHL with Reading, it's like, man, they have just talent, like, out the ass, and it may not be top-end talent, but, you know, guys that they can plug in here and there, you know, on third and fourth lines, potentially second lines. We saw it with Cache this year. I think he came in and he scored. Did he score a goal in his first game or maybe a second? Yeah, yeah. Like it was against Anaheim because he scored against his brother. That's right. <laughs> How cool is that? Uh, but it's something that, at least for me, 
I mean, it's got to be for you too. I mean, we've been Flyer fans our whole life. Like, it's always been, you know, wait for the offseason, go out and buy the best player, right? And now it's like they have an entire team. They have an entire team of prospects, and now they're going out and getting guys from Europe. And, you know, they've always kind of done that. I'm thinking of guys like uh, like Mika Piral and, and guys like that that they could end up going out and grabbing before the season. Or uh, who, who's the Russian guy that I can't think of right now? Lubomov? Lubomov, yeah. He also got Belmar, who was a pretty good signing out of Europe. He was from Sweden as well. Yeah, so this guy, uh, Linus Sandin. I'm going to call him Linus all year long, probably. I love that name, Linus. <laughs> Even though it's Linus, Linus is good. I always think of the guy from uh, from uh, Snoopy. You know who I mean? Yeah, yeah. I used yeah, to have so... the little cartoons on our wall in uh, my parents' old house. So. Yeah. So uh, I hope this kid pays off, man. He's he's big, He's a big boy. He's perfect for the third and fourth line. Uh you know, he's got Robert Haig, right? You said they're from the same hometown? Yeah, they're both from Uppsala. And, you know, I think he's a year younger than Haig. And they also played on the same Moto, in the same Moto youth system. I'm not sure if they ever played a game together, but they were definitely on the same team at the same time in the under-20s for a bit. Um, you know, and he's grown up around him. They were actually him, his brother, and Robert Haig. This week, we're all doing, um, like, uh, COVID-19 charity work together kind of putting stuff together for the community and health workers so yeah he's pretty close to robert Hegg apparently so you know i think that might have paid into played into the decision yeah and so we're talking about the swedish league a little bit too and i mean it's a legit league you mentioned it's the third best league in the world this isn't like uh you know some schlub league where this guy's putting up 30 40 points in the league like legit league uh big body can put the puck in the net, scored 16 goals, you said, for a, a, rele- a team on the brink of relegation uh, a year or two ago? Uh, for Rugler, yeah. Rugler were one of the kind of, I wouldn't say a low-end team. They've kind of, they're a team that got promoted a few years back and then have solidified their position, but they're still, you know, they're not a guarantee for playoffs every year, put it that way. Okay. Sound like the Flyers almost. <laughs> uh, and then the next year he came out and, and did it again and added a couple more assists. Uh, 19 goals, 17 assists, 36 points, 51 games uh, this season for HV71. Sounds like a, a guy they could use. It doesn't just sound like, oh, they brought in a, a name, you know. It sounds like he's going to come in and they could use him right away. I mean, we see it every year now. I think NHL teams in the last 10 years have really got a lot smarter when it comes to Europe. You know, it started with guys like Raffle, and obviously you've had the immense success stories like guys like Panarin. Um but generally now you've got guys contributing around the league. You know, look at San Jose. I've been really good at it. Uh, they've got uh, Melka Carlson, who they got. And he's a, you know, good player out of Europe. Um, and I think you look, you look at Toronto. They've got, got Barabanov this year. I think you're going to see it more often. And I think people really recognize that, especially the KHL, Liga, um, SAL and NLA. They're four leagues in Europe, which are probably AHL level-ish are better in the KHL's case. Um, and if a guy's producing them and has a skill set that looks like it could potentially adapt to North America, I think it's probably safer to a degree than almost, you know, a second or third round pick to, a, you know, because these guys are already 21, 22, 23, 24 and have proven themselves at international level in professional leagues. So, I mean, the worst you're going to probably get from Sandini is he'd be a good AHL player who doesn't quite hit in the NHL. And the best you're probably going to get out of him is a really good third liner. And I think that costing nothing to acquire is, you know, pretty good business. 
No, and, and we saw how important depth is this year. I mean, they they uh, start the season off with without Patrick. You know, they plug a guy in. They they uh, Lindblom goes out a couple weeks in. They plug another guy in. All year long, they the I think there was a position on a third or fourth line that was just a revolving door. It was Torinsky, and then it was Bonneman, and then it was uh, Vorobiev, and Albe Kubel came up and ended up sticking around. I, I think it's okay to have have uh, you know guys like Sandine around, and I, I'm kind of intrigued to see how he fits in. I mean, he seems like a, he's a he's a. I mean, you already know I like the the bigger guys, and seems like a bigger guy, six one, two hundred and nine pounds. I mean, that that's pretty big in the NHL uh, these days. Yeah, and he, he's hard to move from around the crease. He's really good at getting tips. He's good at getting free space there. And in addition to just tips and, you know, being good around the crease, he does have a really nice wrist shot as well. And he can play some hockey. Um, and I think in the bottom six as well, he will, if he gets there and if he can play in at that level and produce in the NHL, he's going to add something different to the bottom six, especially if you've got a bottom six of, you know, Frost, uh, Farabee, James Van Riemsdyk, Lawton, Raffle. Um, and potentially Patrick as well. He brings kind of more of a power forward stance to that bottom six. I, would, I wouldn't call him a power forward, but he's he's in the same ilk as kind of Lindblom in terms of stylistically. You know, halfway between, say, Lindblom and Raffle, except obviously he's got nowhere near the talent that Lindblom has. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's kind of in that ballpark as a guy who's going to get to the net front, establish himself, work hard on the boards, get the dirty goals. Um, and I think that's really useful, especially... You know, when you've got guys like Farabee and Frost who are potentially going to be in the bottom six next year. Interesting, man. This team, this team is going to be loaded with talent, and it's it's really going to be interesting. I've kind of, I'm trying to put it out into the universe that next year is going to be the year for this team, right? Like next year is going to be the the year they win the cup, and they have the depth to do it, and they just keep adding now. So yeah. I'm getting excited. Even little moves like this get me excited. I think for me, I'm really not worried about the forwards now going forward. I think so long as Giroux and Voracek keep up their current-ish levels for the next couple of years, which I don't see why not. Um, you know, Hayes is right in his prime still. Couturier is entering his prime. And both Konechny, Farabee, Frost, Patrick, Lindblom when he's back, Arbe Cabell, you know, these guys are all 23 or under and already kind of established NHL players are, you know, have shown they can play in the NHL. Uh, so with the forwards, I think they should have one of the top five forward lineups in the NHL next year. They were really good this year, to be honest. You know, they had good depth and produced quite a lot of goals. So really now the question, I think, is on defense. And, you know, we've seen Provorov took a step forward again this year. And Sanheim looked really good after his early season wobbles. Phil Myers looked like he could really play a top four role in the NHL. Um, and then you have guys like Zamula come in. And Friedman looked pretty solid in his NHL cup of coffee as well. And then you've got Cam York in the future and uh, Wyatt Kalanuk. So, you know, I think the future is really bright. And then obviously Carter Hart in there. It's just a matter of um, how quickly the defense are going to get up to the standard. I think that the top six forwards especially are kind of setting right now. I mean, I think it's possible that in the next couple of years, you see Provorov and Sanheim both potentially playing at kind of number one level. Provorov's obviously shown flashes for 30 games here, 40 games there. But if he can do that consistently all season, like say he played for the first half of this year, I think he's a legitimate number one. And Sanheim played like kind of a number two, I would say, for the end of this season. So if both of them can be at that level at the same time, uh, Myers can keep developing and Zamula can plug in pretty soon. I think then you have a really, a pretty scary team uh, from top to bottom. Yeah, and scary's right, man. I, I can't wait. I'm ex- I'm 
I'm so excited. This year I thought they could have done something, and it's a shame, you know, what happened. Uh, and, and speaking of this year, there's been some reports, and we could touch on the draft as well, been some reports that they could kick the season back off in July. Have you heard anything? Uh, I mean, nothing more than anyone else has heard, I think. But, uh, yeah, it seems like they're at least kind of pushing for that, that they're going to, you know, have the NHL draft potentially and then uh, start the season after that. And it would be interesting to see kind of what happens. Obviously, I guess there's going to be no fans in attendance or anything. But, you know, um, hockey without fans is better than no hockey, I think, um, so long as it's safe for everyone to play. And, you know, I'd still like to see the season finish out because I think it's the best chance, really, the Flyers have probably had to win I'll get to the conference finals at least since probably 2011-12. I think that the roster this year is better than at any point since 2011-12 for sure and potentially as good as any roster since uh, 09-10. I 100% agree, man. I was I was stoked. They could have really did some damage. Uh, I would have liked to see them get to the to conference finals and potentially play Boston. I really didn't want to play Tampa Bay. I feel like maybe they had their number or something. But the seven-game series with the Bruins would have been would have been great. Yeah, and I think as well, I think you're starting to see kind of a changing of the guard in the Metropolitan Division as well. Obviously, Washington and Pittsburgh still have their top-end talent, and they still look like good teams. But I think you saw this year that, you know, the the Flyers really competed with them. And when you look at kind of Columbus and Carolina as well, those teams are really young teams who look like, you know, it's maybe one piece or one guy developing off being a really, really good teams as well. So, you know, I think you're starting to maybe see the changing of the guard in that regard. And uh I think the Flyers are kind of slightly ahead of the other teams because they have established top-end talent who are in the primes or maybe just slightly past the primes, but still damn good first-line players. So, yeah, I think there's a, the window should really be starting to open about now. And uh, if we can see the season resume, then maybe we'll get a nice playoff run because I think they can definitely beat whoever of Washington or Penguins they're going to face in the first round um, and see who then goes to the second round. You know, potentially there's an upset. Uh, you're playing someone like the Islanders in the second round. Well, then you fancy them really to get to the conference final. Yeah. yeah let me ask you a question. So, Sandine, if, if the league resumes in July, can he play? Well, it's uh, complicated, generally. Most of the time, guys who sign at this time of year would usually be signing for the next year, mm-hmm. even if their season had already been over. Uh, I think they would need a way, like a permission from hv 71 for him to play and also depending on the transfer agreement the nhl and the shl agree so it's kind of up in the air i mean it has happened before um but generally it's been uh the next year i mean like barabanov who signed for toronto has signed from 2020 2021 um and grigorenko at columbus his contract hasn't officially gone through yet due to technicalities but he's also signing 2020 21 and one other little thing as well uh if I think that would discourage the Flyers from wanting to sign him and play him this year is that because he's 24 years old, uh, he only has uh, a one-year entry-level contract. And if he played, that year would burn. So he would oh, be yeah. a UFA. Well, he, would, um, he, I don't, he wouldn't be a UFA, but he'd be an RFA um, this summer. Got uh, it. So I think it would be more beneficial for him to sign an uh, entry-level contract. I mean... For next year, because they already have, if the season resumes, you know, they'll have Pitlick, they'll have Grant, they'll have Thompson as well. And there won't really be much space for him. And I'm not sure the AHL is going to restart at all. So I guess they bring him over uh, for next year. And in terms of how the contracts will be, it's actually really pretty simple. There's only really one kind of contract he can sign because he's a, uh, he's coming over from Europe and he's under 25 years old. He'd be signing an entry-level contract on one year 
uh, probably 925k. Um, and then if he didn't play 80 plus games next year, he'd be an unrestricted free agent potentially in um, next summer. The same as Raffle, exactly the same as Raffle was. But obviously, if a guy fits well, if he likes the town, if he likes the role he's got, generally a guy who's you know a bottom six guy will resign anyway because he's not going to get much more money elsewhere. Okay. Uh, and I wanted to ask you also about the uh, NHL draft. It's They're still shooting for June. They're saying they're going to go based off points percentage right now, uh, or, or at least it's the it's a possibility. Mm. Uh, I think we mentioned on a past show the Flyers we would be picking 26th. And, you know, we've been we've been covering guys and kind of kicking some names around. With the addition of Sandine, does that I don't know? Does it change what they would do in the first round at all? Would could they potentially still go after a defenseman if he's there? How do you see them picking at 26? I mean, in terms of the NHL draft, I don't think it should really change their approach. I think really best player available is the way forward. I mean, they have fantastic forward depth. But if Frost and Farabee are both in the NHL next season, then the only prospect then outside the NHL with real first-line potential, I would say, is Bobby Brink, who will still be in the NCAA. So, you know, obviously you have guys like Lashinsky and like Allison, like Cachet, like Sushko, like Sandine when he comes to the Flyers and Rubtsov as well. But while these guys are pretty good players, I don't see any of them as being more than, you know, second liners. I think, in my opinion, Allison... Um, and maybe O'Brien, if he kind of picks himself back up next year when he's transferred in the NCAA. They're the kind of guys who potentially could be second liners. Maybe Rupsov, if he really gets back to the level he was at the start of last season before he got injured. But I don't really see anyone else apart from, you know, Brink with more than 50-point potential. So I don't think it's necessarily kind of a draft-for-need situation, especially since they have two young defensemen outside the um, NHL in Zamula and York, who I think legitimately have kind of number three number two potential if they really hit. So, yeah, I think it depends. They've obviously not got as much depth in defense. And I think if I was the Flyers, obviously they have Kalinuk. And if they sign Hugby, that would be nice. I would just pick best player available and then maybe stock up on defense in the mid rounds uh, to kind of get more depth there. I mean, for me, I think the best player available in the first round will probably be a forward. If a guy like Jan Misak, as we spoke about, falls, you know, he might be BPA. Uh, if Seth Jarvis somehow falls, he'd be, you know, a dream for... In my estimation, you know, you've got Zion Nybeck as well. He's a great player who's just undersized and has everything else. So I think the best player available will probably be a forward. And, and you know, unless one or two specific defensemen fall. Um, but I really can't think of anyone apart from maybe Caden Gould, who fits that category, who could be best player available um, late in the first round for the Flyers as a defenseman. All right, so let me put you on the spot. You're the Flyers at 26. Who's the guy? Uh, all right, so who's the guy that you hope falls to you? And then, you know, in more likely scenario, who who do you want at 26 if, if your guy doesn't fall? I mean, in terms of an absolutely ideal world, mm-hmm. Seth Jarvis somehow falls to 26. He's a bit undersized. Uh, but I think the way he finished his season off, he's going to be a top 15 pick at worst falls to kind of 20. I mean, he's the kind of guy I would move up for into the 20s to try and get. But if he's not there... Then it would come down to probably two guys. I would say it's between then Jan Misak, if he falls, um, because I think he also will probably go top 15, and uh, Zion Nybeck. I think Zion Nybeck is the kind of guy who people will look back, like someone like Debrinka, like someone like Braden Point, who in three or four years, or Johnny Gaudreau, who in three or four years' time, people look back and go, why did we not draft him just because he was 5'8", 5'9"? Wow. You know, like that's exactly the same thing that happened with Debrinka, that happened with Gaudreau, that happened with Point really high-end players who have lots of skill 
who, you know, Point was 5'9 in his draft year. Gaudreau, I mean, Gaudreau's probably still only about 5'6 and a half, 5'7 at absolute tops and just <laughs> overlisted. Um, and Debrinkat is 5'7, five, 5'8. Five, and those three guys fell out of the first round. I mean, in Gaudreau's place and Point's place to the third round just because of their size. They were high-end players. Um, and I think if Nibek is there at 26 overall, I think he's the guy who I think will probably be um, the best player available. I mean, there are some really other good players who potentially could be there. Um, but he's likely, I think, the best player available. If, you know, if Misak's gone, if Mercer is gone, if Jarvis is gone, he's 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 the best player for me. Okay. Sounds like Nebeck's your guy. You you mentioned I mean, his name, I think, on one of the last shows we did. And I think you were pretty high on him. For the Flyers, yeah. I mean. Yeah, yeah. Um, he's the he's the only guy I think I can see with real, real, real top fifteen talent in this draft. Who's definitely going to be, almost certainly going to be there at the Flyers pick. I mean, I really do like guys like Misak. I like guys like Mercer. Um, obviously, I spoke about Jarvis at length, and I really like Jarvis. And you know, a guy like Connor Zari as well is a really good player. He might be there in the middle of the first, but in terms of guys who are definitely going to be there after twenty, um, for me, uh, Zion Nybeck is the only guy who's has the potential to kind of be a 70 plus kind of star player. Wow. Obviously it's not guaranteed. He's going to get to that level, but I do think I can definitely draw comparisons to guys like Goudreau point and Debrinka in terms of the reasons that he's fell, he's going to fall. You know what I noticed? I mean, I noticed it more after doing some shows with you guys and, and looking some of these prospects up there. There's a lot of smaller guys, five, eight, five, nine, not, I mean, 160 165 i mean it's it's if if i find a guy that's 170 175 and 510 511 that's like a bigger player these days i feel like are you noticing that i mean i think since it's i mean i know for a fact since the mid 90s the nhl has actually got smaller and lighter i think it's lost a few like maybe a centimeter in height and probably is five ten pounds lighter just i think with the rules it just caters more to speed um and i think being smaller isn't necessarily as big as a restriction as it used to be. But also I think NHL teams are just maybe a slightly less biased these days. I mean, we've seen for years on end that small players can succeed in the NHL. Doug Gilmore and Igor Larianov are both Hall of Fame centers and are 5'9". You know, you've got a guy like Theron Flory, who was 5'6", who was wow. a star in the 90s. You know, Danny Briere from the Flyers, he's 5'8", 5'9", and was a star center all through the 2000s. And I think it used to be, unless you were an absolute star, teams weren't going to draft you. Teams weren't going to utilize you if you were under kind of 510 whereas now i think teams are seeing that you know oh if a guy's 5859 and only a middle six winger if he's a better middle six winger than a guy who's six foot well we're going to play him and i think that's part of the philosophy change um that means there are a few more smaller guys now um but yeah i think the rules have also really opened it up uh, to allow guys like that to um succeed now there isn't the clutch and grab and now it's not necessary to be you know Sidney crosby um width if you're 5'10, 5'11, or Mark Recky size if you're 5'9, 5'10. Um, whereas it used to really be, you know, a guy like Travis Konechny is obviously undersized, but he's kind of the archetype of the 90s smaller player, you know, probably yeah. 190 ish pounds and a bowling ball. Whereas now I don't think you need to be like that to succeed. Yeah, just something I've noticed. And then it made me think, like, man, maybe I got to change my mindset a little bit. Because as soon as I see anything under 5'9 or, or 5'10, I'm like, all right, well, this guy better be thick. And if he's not like 175, 180, I'm kind of like, nah. Like you can, you know, a, a gust of wind could blow this kid over. I don't, I don't know if I want him on the Flyers, but 
it seems to be the way the game's changing a little bit. And I'm like, you know what? I don't want to miss out on a talent just because he's small, right? It, it doesn't make sense. Would I like him to be bigger? Would I like him to take a bigger guy? Yeah, but if, if he's better than the other guy, then they should take the talented guy, right? And I think especially, I mean, even though I think you shouldn't really look so much into size, I don't think anyone should when we're talking about prospects. Mm-hmm. I also see the need, you know, you still need some physicality on a team. You still need a net front presence. You need guys who are good on the boards. But with the Flyers, when you look at the constitution of the team and you look at a lot of the prospects, they also have those bigger guys, especially down the middle. Um, I mean, Frost is kind of the only guy down the middle now in the organization who you really say, like, is undersized. And Frost is 5'11", and he's probably going to be 190, 195 pounds, you know, when he's filled out. So you've got Hayes, you've got Couture, who are big guys. You've got Nolan Patrick, who's a big guy as well. Um, so, I mean, I think so long as you have, you know, some guys who can work the boards um, in your lineup, I don't think it's too bad to have a couple of guys who, you know, are on the smaller side. And yeah. plus, I mean, I think the Flyers fans know better than anyone. When it comes to guys who are on the smaller side who can work the boards, you know, we've Claude Giroux and now Aubé Cabell. Um, Mike Richards is only 5'11", but a demon on the boards as well. It's not exclusive that you need to be, you know, 6'1", 6'2", 6'3", to be a good board player. No, it's true. It's true. And it, like I mentioned, they're seeing a lot more guys that are smaller in stature coming up. I, th- I just thought that was interesting. Uh, what else do we have, Alex? Is there anything else you wanted to talk about in this episode? It was kind of a short one. It went by quick. Yeah, it was fun to do. But, I mean, in terms of other things, yeah, I think Sandine is really the marquee news and um just watching out for the next few days to see what happens and wait for him to hopefully sign i mean it seems like it's you know a 75 80 percent kind of done deal but obviously until the ink is on the dotted line always a bit um cautious with these things but you know both the swedish press have reported it the north american press have reported it um and he's been on people's radars for quite a while so yeah, I've got my fingers crossed that they get him in because i think he'd be a real good addition to the franchise and he's one of the better uh ufas out of europe as i've said so yeah um it's going to be interesting to see next year where he fits into the lineup if he's in the ahl if he's on a fourth line role if he's in a third line role and what he can bring to the players yeah i know i'm excited uh so we're gonna wrap this one up here alex if if you guys aren't following alex already alex where can they find you on twitter um i am at av appleyard um on twitter um, pretty simple yeah. And I've got a stupid stupid last name, so it's quite easy to find. <laughs> At least it's easy to say. Yeah, true. Yeah. Uh, you guys know where you can find me, Jim Like HW. Uh, that's going to do it for this episode. Thanks for tuning in again. Alex, always a pleasure. Yeah, and good. Yeah, we'll be back soon with another episode. We have uh, a lot of uh, stuff to talk about with the draft coming. We'll get to more some, some more prospect talk coming up soon. Everybody stay safe, wash your hands, and wear your mask. And we'll be back.
Shut up and sit down.